Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Do you have any resolutions? Ooh. Drink more water. Ooh. That's my New Year's resolution every, every year. year. Guess you... what? It has to be because I obviously can't complete it as dialed. Have you seen those things that are like, my sister has like a huge one that's like start at 8 a.m. And like it's like it tells you when to finish the waters. Like it's a big thing and it basically that's like coaches asking too you. too much of me. It's organizationally. a lot. Maybe write more will be my New Year's de- resolu- deadline resolution. It's like maybe finally writing the pilot, writing the feature, writing the thing, writing the like. Yeah. The thing that's difficult is every time I've written a show, the idea has like come at me and it's clear and I do it. Mm-hmm. Right now I'm like, I, and I think maybe I'm going to blame pandemic. I'm going to blame pandemic. That's but okay. This just in, dear readers, I've, I've decided to get bangs. <gasps> That's a very New Year's thing to do. New it's year, a very New Year's New New Year New, new Love Yourself. I'm gonna get them done. I think like so long, long bangs. I think long bangs. Beaver thicker. bangs. I think thicker long bangs. But I think like it'll look Parisian and chic. I do too. It'll look winter because you'll have like a scarf. Who are you gonna kiss at midnight? No one. It's a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> New Year's feels like the holiday season is so much about family, and then New Year's feels to me less about family. Like, I want to be with a lover in fucking, like... You want to be on drugs. Sure. I'd rather just, like, be in love. Oh, I'm thinking of me. You'd rather be on drugs. I would like to be on drugs on New Year's. Do you really? Uh, sure, I'd love to. I, I don't know what's when that'll favorite, be a thing I get to do again. What's your favorite? Well, yeah, drugs. I mean, when you're pumping. That's a pump and dump sitch. <laughs> that's a pump and dump. Uh, <laughs> what drug is your drug of choice on New Year's? Oh, any. All. Have you done a lot of drugs? No. Uh, no, actually. I, I'll break it down for you. I've done crystal meth once. <gasps> what? I was like 15. Yeah. No way. Yeah. I started crystal meth when I was in high school. Did you do it ever again? No. Did it freak you out? No. You just it really... just was not actually like a enjoyable. Uh no, not even I no, it wasn't enjoyable, but it wasn't scary. It was um like older kids were doing it and I was trying to fit in vibes and right. it did not the opportunity actually just never arose again. Not and that like, and not I wasn't gonna looking see, for the yeah. opportunity either. Um, what a dream. You tried it once and you were done. Like, yeah. that is... And I did ecstasy twice. Oprah mm-hmm. fucked me up. I, Dare worked on me. No, I cared way more about being cool than anything those programs had to say. Uh, so I was doing whatever everyone else was doing. But uh, when I say I did ecstasy twice, that was a high school. And then since then, as an adult... Um, in Thailand, I did Molly, which I guess is maybe the same thing. It's the thing. same, MDMA, it? yeah, it's the okay. same. Okay, in Thailand, I did do Molly a couple of times. Would... Do you want to hear my Thailand Molly story? Yes. It's hysterical. So Matt and I were in a hotel in Thailand, and we took <laughs> Molly and went on a walk. And as the Molly kicked in, I threw up in my mouth um, and held it into my mouth because we were at a place getting smoothies for the walk. And I just, like, left, found a bush to spit my barf in, and then was like, this is more powerful than I thought it was going to be. We have to go back to the room. I can't do a walk. <laughs> and he was like, no problem. And he looked like Mr. Burns from the episode of The yes. Simpsons where his eyes are just, like, saucer eyes. And Matt was, like, so happy and floating around and being like, do you need anything? What can I get you? And, like, so happy. We get back to the room, and I'm like, I feel like this is really powerful, this drug and I need to take a shower so I get in the shower and Matt's like do you want me to get in the shower with you and I'm like yeah I think I do so he gets in the shower and we're talking in the shower and he's like kind of trying to just be like you good yeah and he's on cloud nine looking through the bathroom door past me he gasps like (gasps) scares the shit out of me and I turn you can see our mini bar 
and there is a monkey that has opened the mini bar and has taken chips and peanuts out of the mini bar. Matt turns to run at the monkey, and the monkey sees him and runs. (laughs) Our sliding door to our patio had been open. The monkey runs out the sliding door and up onto the roof, and Matt is naked because he was showering with me. Matt runs after the monkey. Oh, my God. Gets to the patio Realizes there's all these people in the swimming pool below, and it's, like, an, a weird time of day, like, normal time of day. Like, three. Like, there's, like, kids in the pool. Matt grabs the curtain, wraps it around himself, and goes out on the, um... Trying to get... He's got, like, the curtain around him from the hotel room, still on the rods. But he's, like, also leaning out on the balcony trying to see if he can see the monkey. And some woman, some, like, German woman is in the pool yelling at him, He is on the roof! He has your peanuts. (laughs) Because he's sitting, I guess, right above Matt, eating peanuts, which we did get charged for an exorbitant amount, I'm sure. I can't recall. It's Thailand, though. Isn't it pretty affordable? It is, but the peanuts, that's where you really lose the the money. The peanuts. He's While Matt's naked, he's on the roof eating our peanuts. (laughs) So hysterical. So hysterical. Beyond. I love that. So that's my doing Molly in Thailand story. Did I ever tell you that I did shrooms with... Did I just kick your foot? No. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, did I ever tell you when I did shrooms in Woodstock, like a cliche? No. Did I never tell you this story? Mm-mm. I was doing shrooms with my boyfriend at the time, and he and I had a tough relationship and that's to say he was three years older than me, but he would always be like, when I was your age. And I really hated that because I was like, no, <laughs> we're the same age. Like if we went to high school at the same time, we're the same age. Like you can offer sage wisdom when I ask for it, but don't speak down to me. I hated that. It was the first time I was doing them. And I'm kind of like a natural girl. Like I'm like, you know, I'll do a psychedelic, but it's got to be shrooms. You know what I mean? I've like never a, done acid. Yeah. I don't think I'll do acid, but I like shrooms. Um, I've only done them once, and I had a oh, me too. good I've time. I've only done them once. I had a good time. I would have to be like in a very specific situation again. And we were doing them, and he was like, you know, I'll here to guide you because he had done them before, and so we we're doing them. And I was like entering the trip, and he was like. He had a very emotional reaction, which is a possible reaction where he was, like, crying. He was afraid of death. Like, it brings up things to deal with. Like, I think people use psychotropics. Is that the word? Psychotropics or whatever. They use uh, psychedelic drugs like that to sometimes, like, seek inward and, you know, you can do the whole thing. Anyway, he's crying, like, sobbing, so scared. I'm, like dressed in sweatpants and nightdress and his sweater so I look straight out of one flew over the cuckoo's nest and I'm trying to go outside and like wave at cars and I'm sure the cars were like all oh, those fucking Brooklyn kids coming in doing mm-hmm. shrooms in Woodstock New York <laughs> and I'm waving at cards and he's like don't don't leave don't leave don't go outside like you're gonna hurt yourself and I was like I got this I'm good and he's crying he's crying and I finally go I know why you're upset and he was like, why am I upset? I said, because you think you're a god like me, but you're not. <laughs> oh, rough. I was like, I told him. I, I said, like mushroom carry. That's said, pretty funny. I was so confident. And, and, and I want to be very clear, dear readers. This is not like a monotheistic religion vibe. You know what I mean? Like this was like, I felt godlike. In a sense where I was like, the reason you keep putting me down is because I'm at the top of the mountain and you're working and climbing your way up it. And there's no harm, no fault in any of this. It's just be where you are and it'll be okay. Like, Mm -hmm. you're coming for me because you're mad that I'm at a different level than you. Whoa. (laughs) But while we were tripping, I was like, "You're, you're not a god like me. And I and I and he was like, but I I am though, aren't I? And I was like, one day maybe, but not now. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa, <laughs> Carrie. I know. And I and it was Keith It was like Rainier a little yeah, you. it was a little Keith Rainier thing to do. Luckily I am not sentenced to life in jail, but I was sentenced to a breakup. And I <laughs> I think I think at the end of the day it was like 
like he was having a, an emotional reaction because that's where he was at with his life at that time. And I think for me, it was this like reckoning that I had of that relationship where it was like, the reason you're putting me down is because people who are, you know, negative towards you, sometimes it's your own doing if you're just a dick, but like someone who is patronizing to me or condescending, I was like, oh, this is about you. It's not about me. Yeah, which I think is like how I left that, which felt good and felt like a good lesson to hear of being like, you know what, this behavior, not about me. Um, But yeah, I guess my New Year's resolution is to write more. (laughs) 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 And yours is drink more water, take care of a baby. Yeah. Yeah. Take care of two kids. Keep everybody alive. Keep everyone alive, including Matt. Including even Matt. (laughs) (laughs) Matt. Ideally, really, he needs to keep himself alive. Like, I can't be bothered with all that. (laughs) That's fair. That's all I ask of a partner. Keep yourself alive. Keep yourself alive. (laughs) Okay, dear readers. We left you last week. We left you with the fucking cliffhanger. That's French for hanger. Is it? All right. Okay. Um, We, if you wanted some backstory on John Benet Ramsey, you can tune in to last week. Um, This is the partner app. Oh, yeah. I wreck hard listening to last week's app before this week's because it's chronological. It's chronological. And uh, I feel like we're about to get into the. For. For. In time. In time. (laughs) Of the time. that There's some valuable background information. There's some information about, the you know, what happened the day of. Um, and and we, just useless conjecture, which useless we know is what you really came which, for. Which you so. really want. So listen to that up and, and then, then come on back. Come on back. And away. Wait, wait. You're listening to Truly. Darkly. Creeply. I'm Carrie Epema. I'm Quinlan Poser. And here is... Two episodes, one crime. (laughs) (laughs) We did it. We 69'd you. We 69'd it. So let's talk about the investigation that ensues. Uh, What investigation? Well, let's wait. Can we talk about how she died? Mm -hmm. What we do know is that she had a cerebral um, trauma to her head. And when they did the autopsy, they found that it was a cerebral, what did they call it? A cerebral, anyway, it was like blunt force trauma to the head, as well as asphyxiation. What certain investigators after the fact look into is they say, okay, was she already dead from the cerebral um, hemorrhage and the asphyxiation was a cover-up or not actually what killed her. Um, so the the hemorrhage on her head, mm-hmm. I mean, it was so fucking serious. They said it, they likened it to her falling three stories. Whoa. It's a fucking whack that this Part kid got. Part of her got. skull is, so, is cracked. I mean, she has two dots suspiciously on her back or on her leg that are close together that they're not sure really like what. an inch apart, what it looks like what an independent investigator is going to say it is loose is a, yes that's right loose mitt he's going to say that it's likely from a stun gun when a team looked into this probability of a stun gun they found that it actually didn't measure up the width where it was was not the same well, amount of okay let's let's talk about that cbs <laughs> does all these, uh, we're going to stun our friend with a stun gun. Oh, my God. He's like, whoa, it's like a jolt of a... Well, Lou Smith's theory is that the stun gun subdued her, where the an intruder came in, stun gunned her in her bed, she was knocked out, he came downstairs to the second location and, you know, fuck shit up. When they did the stun gun experiment on this poor man who was like volunteered volunteered as tribute (laughs) to be stun gunned on national television he's like his adrenaline peaked he's gotta be like 280 pounds he's 280 pounds he's enormous he's an adult man because weirdly they couldn't get a three foot eleven six-year-old to be stunned wild but once they looked at the the marks that it left is it was not skin deep. It was a red mark that was not blood or anything. The dots that were found on Jean Benet's body were done posthumously, they say, because the way there's no indication that the blood was circulating in her body, but there are indentations into the skin that show that it broke skin. 
I had trouble buying their stun gun. It's not a stun gun pitch on CBS. Mm. One of the reasons why is that unrelated case, I read um, an autobiography of a girl that was kidnapped Mm -hmm. uh, and kept by a man that abused her for years. And she was a child when she was taken, and that is how he took her. And she talks about she was walking to school and he pulled a car over and he started talking to her. And when she got close to the car, he stun gunned her. Yeah. And she said she felt herself pee her pants and fall and she was out. Yeah. And so to me, I'm like, this has happened. It would knock a child out. And one of your biggest things is it couldn't have. It would be like a jolt of energy. I didn't like that either. But then you say that to me and I stop listening to you about the other reasons you think it's not a stun gun. Because I go, you are really overselling. The the CBS documentary, I think, is fully flawed in that they didn't even consider. I felt like they didn't give the intruder argument full weight. If you're going to do a documentary, if you're going to do what happened to John Bonet, and you have really convincing evidence, let the evidence speak for itself. It, everything that they did, I felt, was super convincing in that, like, okay, so we talked about John Bonet's injury in her skull. In the CBS interview, they talked about how this light that was found there, this mag light, it was found in the crime scene. No one claimed it. The Ramses did not claim it. People did not know where it came from. They think they got it, they got it as a gift, but nobody knew how it got to that place. In the CBS documentary, they talked about the weight of it. These these lights are these flashlights are fucking heavy. But I thought was so jarring. A child was brought in, and they go, "Okay, we've constructed this head. It's at the same height John same height John Bonet was, three foot eleven. It has a blonde wig on it, and it they give and we brought in a nine year old. They brought in a to try to crack it open to go swing like hell, little Johnny." And this fuck, it's so alarming. And the it's kid's so face, over the top. it's so over the top. I found that extremely manipulative. I thought it was manipulative. I thought it was really fucking disturbing, to be honest. As someone who's siding with the family, the CBS documentary fucking turned me off. Not of the facts, because I do think the facts speak for themselves. But they turned me off as investigators because I didn't feel like they were being impartial. Which, when you enter an investigation impartiality i think is key and furthermore even john smith wasn't impartial the da wasn't impartial the police were not impartial Mm -hmm. you keep bringing up the pineapple do you think you want to talk about that yeah i'll talk about it we know that they were at the party and they left at 8 30 which means that somehow dinner was had and five hours later her body had digested that dinner when they did the autopsy, what they found was pieces of a fruit or vegetable. They called it tan, green, and yellow. It looked similar to pineapple is what they concluded based on the aut- in the autopsy. They found pieces of this material in her small intestine. What's significant about this is that this is separate from the meal she had earlier. So it means that somehow, somehow, between the time she got home and her death, she ate pineapple. What's significant is the timeline the family has given is has her in bed by 920. So we don't have any evidence of her having that freaking pineapple. What they do find in the crime scene photo is a bowl of pineapple with milk in it and a glass with a tea bag in it. Mm-hmm. The only fingerprints on the bowl are Burke's and Patsy's. Patsy's, I'm willing to say, because she puts the dishes away. Let it be known, in the second interview with Burke, they have this information, and this was like a year and a half after the death of his sister. They show him a picture of the pineapple and they did lead him down a path of like, what did you have snacks before bed? Like, what was there fruit involved? What kind of fruit? You know, they they led him down a path, and he was like, yeah, some pineapple. And then they show him this image of this bull at the crime scene, and they go, what is this? He couldn't place it. He couldn't say what it when was. When I read about this account that Burke looked at a picture of pineapple and couldn't say what it was, I thought that sounded really damning. Then when I saw the actual video and realized it's a black and white photo of chunks of pineapple floating in milk, you really can't tell what it is, is they, the truth. They only had black and white. They didn't have color back then. It was in the 90s. Did they not, Did they show them a black and white photo? Yeah. What's significant to me about it is that Patsy 
for me, her reasoning why that wasn't her bowl of fruit was like that spoon does not go with it. The spoon was really large in the bowl of fruit, which She's to like, me I feels like she was like, that out. it needs to match. No, thank right. you. But it looks like something a kid would be like, oh, sick. Mom's asleep. I could get a big ass spoon. Um, I also thought was weird is, again, the crime scene was totally contaminated. So truthfully, would a guest who serves pineapple and milk? That's so, disgusting. It's disgusting. I mean, she's six years old. Could John Benet have gotten up and gotten? I, I don't know. Like, we don't know these kids. We don't know we their don't personalities. Know their yeah. So this bowl of pineapple, I do think, is damning in that it's the last thing that was in her system. I do think the pineapple is related to someone who killed her. We really have leaned into that since saying there's something in her body that looks like it could be pineapple. Right. Then seeing that pineapple and going, well, this is the pineapple. You know, I hear what you're saying. I think what's significant is that something in the timeline happened where she got up after she was put to bed. If their timeline is correct, she got she went to bed at 920. She got up. She had something to eat. And then she died. We do know that she was fed something before she died. And who the fuck does that? It doesn't feel to me like like a stranger, though. (laughs) But it doesn't feel like anybody is the other thing. It doesn't feel like anybody. No, I agree. It doesn't feel like somebody that could wake you up and say that she trusted enough to eat something from them. It's something that was someone was in her house where she didn't scream right away. They're claiming that Burke has been asleep this entire time. Mm -hmm. I call bullshit on that. Why? Because mom is screaming, crying, yelling, and Burke is just staying in his he room. He says he heard her, and he didn't come down. He, he says, says he heard her. He said he heard her, but he also said in an interview with the with the not investigator with the child police psychologist because they oh um, that he's a deep sleeper. But he's he's like I'm a very deep sleeper. And what kid says that? I mean, kids say that because their parents say it. Here's but like, the thing: Burke is always going to get a bad rap whether he did it or not, because Burke's fucking weird. Poor Burke. That, I'll that never guy has deny. a weird fucking... Um, he has a you guys weird see facial what we're twitch. About? He has this Watch sm- Dr. Phil's interview with him, oh. and it will unnerve you to the core. And I truly don't believe Burke did it, but I think you he's... You don't think he did it? I don't think he did it, but I think he's such a fucking creep. And I think he was a weird kid, too. He was a weird kid. A weird, kid. like, spoiled, rich kid that behaves really bizarrely in the interviews and behaves really bizarrely when he's an adult, and I don't think he did it, and I don't think it's a crime to be a fucking creep. What about the reports of him hitting Jean Benet with a golf club? Any family that has two kids, two young kids, and you're going to look for incidents of violence between the two kids, that's not fair. Yeah, but also, like, fecal matter? Did you hear that All in right, the All right, the poop thing the I'm poop confused thing about. Is, I'm talk, also, talk me through that. Okay, the poop thing I'm also confused about. We still haven't gotten into the investigation that's been completely botched, but here we are. The po- they, There's reports from their um, nanny that Burke would spread fecal matter all over the walls and what they found was in John Benet's room the night of I only saw this one place and again there's a lot of misinformation but what I saw was that there was a piece of fecal matter let's just call it shit there was a piece of shit on a box of candy that John Benet had gotten the night before the day before on Christmas like, her Christmas candy had shit on it. They would know whose poop it is. Well, they haven't totally confirmed or denied. Burke isn't out there and the Dr. Phil being like, yes, I spread shit on my sister's bed in the candy because I was jealous. Shortly after the the death of his sister, he was interviewed and he talked about how he's like, I'm fine. <laughs> no big deal. Just playing my Nintendo. Like... If he did not do do it, I think, dear readers, we can all agree that there's something going on with that kid that I don't trust fully. Whether he killed his sister or not, I don't trust him. I think he's a weird kid. I don't like Burke. I don't think he killed his sister. And if you think he did kill his sister, then you are making a decision that the whole family knows this and is implicated and was doing 
everything they were doing to cover it up. And there are too many times where they do a thing that doesn't align for me with what you would do if you were covering it up. And there are too many objects that we haven't accounted for. People obsess over this pineapple. Nobody talks about how in the guest room there was a rope found in a brown paper bag that the family was like, we don't know what that is or where it came from and had none of their DNA on it. Mm. There was a baseball bat on the side of the house that they don't know Mm. why it was there. There were shoe prints in the basement from high-tech brand boots, and John and Patsy didn't own any shoes like that. They also had day laborers over there who I'm sure were doing work in the basement. Oh, he's having a tantrum, huh? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I think it's important to note that at right after they found John Bonet's body, John is on the phone making travel arrangements to to fly the family back to Atlanta. Everyone um, says that's suspicious like he's fleeing. I don't think I, I don't I, think I don't, it's I don't suspicious. totally think it is. I think it's a weird move. Like I think what they did is the Ramseys aren't helping themselves ever in this investigation. It feels like they're allowing suspicions to occur around them and they're making so many fucking missteps that is only like okay, if there's smoke, there's fire because right after the body was found and they found out that they're dealing with a homicide it's customary because those are the only three people in that room. It's customary to separate husband and wife and interview them. And if I was innocent, I would do everything in my power to answer whatever questions they have to find the killer who did this. But everyone paints them like they were so resistant. I don't know that they were as resistant as they people refused, say. They refused the interview and they they lawyered up right away, which... I'm I don't I'm not inclined to think that's suspicious because I think anyone who has money and has a lawyer on retainer they're like why wouldn't I fucking lawyer up right away? What I they find signed a sus- hundred releases for different information uh, that the police requested. The police were not, but the also they gave them handwriting, they gave them DNA, they gave them their pubic hair. They were like, "What do you want?" and they were giving it to them. And I think people painted as they were like, "We're not helping." It's not really how it went. I think what ha- I mean I listen I hear you what's bothersome to me is that they didn't do their first separate interview until April until 120 days later don't you think the first thing you want to do is like question me now here's the thing to me I'm like you think that's the police I misgivings. think that's the police fucking up and the I think DA that's the police was, tiptoeing around this couple for some reason it's a bummer for John and Patsy because it makes them look guilty as hell but I don't know how much of it was we're really reluctant versus how much of it was the police just not doing their job. Which is, listen, I think that's totally plausible. I think the fact that they did not want to be interviewed apart for that long and they a week later were doing interviews on CNN. They did they they did the fucking media blitz on their own end that was really misguided. I don't know who is giving them advice, but like... What did you find troubling about the media blitz? One, I thought fully Patsy was on Quaaludes. Like, I fully thought <laughs> she was, like, I fully thought she was drugged up out of her mind. Which Would to she me, have been on cancer med stuff then? No, no. She she had she had talked about how she was, like, a stage four In cancer su- survivor. Mm. To me, it was, like, she's slurring. But, again, I feel like probably any doctor would give her clonopin to, like, be, like, you got to calm down. If you're dealing with a death, it's, like, sure, whatever. The keep your babies close to you. There's someone out there. This vibe, them being so obstinate that it was no none of their friends or family that they were like no it's not i'm like what that's not true i heard john say he he i think that we probably know the person that did this i think we probably put her at risk by having her in these pageants i think that in april of that year and like the for months after his immediate reaction was like no that would be mine too if Koa got stolen and then I found out it was he was murdered and then they were like, what do you think? I would be like, it's a fucking rando. Yeah. There's no way I know the person that would do this to my son. Right. I mean, I think there is. I, I mean, listen, I was surprised when I would watch the interviews before I knew that John had four years prior lost his 22 year old daughter. I felt he was really cold and distant. I felt John was like a little bit atypical, but I also feel like 
I, I either way, I, I felt John is super measured a week after, and then Patsy is like putting it on, in a way that I felt was a little we, like that direct address was like keep your babies close. Well, that might also come from, like, fuck you. The clonopin? No, for me, it's like, that's fuck you. That's everybody saying I did this. Okay, well, you fucking keep your kids close because there's somebody out there. And it could be you. That's how I'd feel, too. Like, you yeah. want to keep saying I did this? Okay, well, you better hold your kids close because I fucking didn't. She's had interviews, too, where she's like, I'm doing everything I can for Burke. She said, if I lost Burke, there's nothing I would do. Of course, course. that makes sense. But to me, it's like, okay. I don't think, what I'm saying is, I don't think if Burke did it, I I do not think he did it with intent. I think it was a nine-year-old who fucked up. I don't think it's this kid of who like attacked not. her. He wouldn't have been pre- in the CBS documentary. Murder. In the CBS documentary, they fucking tried to play that card, and I was like, that's bullshit. What? Like he had plans? Like he? Well, they were like the one guy was like, I think he could have done it, but I don't think he meant to. And they're like, well, it depends on what you describe as an accident. I'm like, you mean a young, a brother took it too far and f- killed his sister? See, and to me, if he killed her, if Burke killed John Bonet by accident by what do we want to say, hitting her on the head with something, with the light, with a flashlight. Okay, so say he did that, mm-hmm. and say the parents found out. Now we're led to believe they then made a a garret, a garret, wrapped it around her neck and tightened it to the level that she had all these strangulation strangulation marks. And I don't know, that wood got in her vagina somehow. Did they penetrate her with it, her parents, after she was dead? The sexual assault, again, in the CBS documentary, they really undercut the sexual assault. They said that they found wood shavings in her underwear as opposed to actually it in her vagina. I want to talk pointedly about the window downstairs. Can we talk about the window? Yeah. All right. So what you guys should know is... On December 25th, the Ramseys didn't turn their home alarm system on. So the home was essentially unlocked. It was unalarmed. There were uh, seven windows and a door unlocked on the morning of the 26th. We don't know. Again, there's so many ins and outs that uh, hard it to was, say. The crime scene was <laughs> not fucking preserved in the slightest. It does seem one means of getting into the house that people point to in the intruder is the, theory is this grate on the side of the house which was removable. These windows opened into the playroom area of the basement and one was broken. It had been broken already by John when he locked himself out of the house. Four, five months ago, prior so it to this. So broken a while. They obviously weren't worried. Not they weren't months, trying to fix it. They did find some scuff marks beneath that window. And the area around the window kind of looked like there was a disturbance because there were some leaves. There was some styrofoam packing peanuts that had kind of pooled in the window and then looked brushed aside. But there was also a cobweb in the corner of the window that was intact that they're saying would have been really hard for it to stay intact and someone to creep on through. Well, because the whole window didn't open all the way. It wasn't like you opened the window and it was like wide open spaces. It was like it opened and there was a part of the basement roof that it blocked it. So it was like a pretty difficult way to maneuver in. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to say an intruder theory, I don't think that's how someone got in. If I'm going to say intruder theory, I think it's the other broken windows. And I think what you're saying of, like, when they were at the white party, someone came in and was in the house waiting. That's what I believe. I believe that whoever did this was already inside the house when the family went to bed. I think what's hard in a case like this is you're going to see what we've seen in all kinds of cases. Somebody thinks they know the story and then all of the evidence magically points to their story being correct and all of the evidence that doesn't they don't tell you don't pay attention to yeah um that which is why carrie and i are taking these two opposing views because we're trying to give you uh as rounded um an idea of what could have happened as possible possible yeah let's talk about the dna 
Okay. Um, the DNA is hard to talk about. And the reason why it's hard to talk about is we know how badly this crime scene got fucked. Yeah. So we're okay. still going to tell you about some of the DNA found. There was an unidentified male's DNA found under Jean Benet's fingernails. There was unidentified male DNA found in her underwear and on the outside of her pajamas. It matches itself. There was hair from an unidentified Caucasian man found on the blanket covering her body. It doesn't match anybody in the home, nor does this unidentified male DNA. With this DNA, part Mm -hmm. of the reason we're suspect about it in general is that usually in cases like this, you would use 13 markers to characterize DNA. For some reason, they're only using four. So when they only use four, I don't know understand DNA well enough to tell you what that means, but it sounds like does They're it not going to prove it by any reasonable doubt. It's so important you guys hear me on this. They don't know whose DNA that was. They're going to say it's the killer's. And from here on out, that's going to exonerate pretty much anyone we talk about because (laughs) no one has ever been found to match that DNA. Right. The issue is I don't think the DNA is sound enough due to contamination as evidence and due to a lack of really coding it well to use as concrete evidence. But they will continue to use it to say it wasn't any of these people and it wasn't any of these people and we'll now never know. Right. The police, throughout their investigation, favor the family doing it, and the DA favors the intruder Intruder. theory. The two of them were bottlenecked in this thing where they just were like, no one was going to get out with any answers. Mm -hmm. Since I did the research on the family, I'm going to say a couple things about the family that are theories. They're not totally substantiated, but I will, I'll kind of go through them. One of the theories is that Patsy who is a pageant mom, got so pissed at Jean Benet for wetting the bed that she went on a fucking terror. Also, one of the things that I fucking hated in researching this was they were like, well, Patsy was stressed from the holidays and she was about to turn 40. So with the bedwetting, she was was, probably on her period. She was probably on her period. And she was very jealous of your six year old daughter. So, you know, I I am not inclined to believe that to be the case. I do think that the ransom note, we can't get too far away from it. It is so fucking weird. I know certain handwriting experts say that they did or didn't. Sina Wong is a um, handwriting expert, and she compared the handwriting to Patsy Ramsey. She, She ruled out John, and she ruled out Burke, but she did say that there were more than 200 similarities in the handwriting of the ransom note versus independent collected handwriting samples from Patsy. That is damning to me. The fact that the ransom note is two and a half pages long, the fact that it knows intimate details about his bonus. I'm, but th- I'm not even considering that. It's like everything pointing it to it being written there is insane to me. It's mm-hmm. insane that someone came in and was like, and it was long. All they needed to say was like, hey, we have your daughter. Pay us this money. We will call you for instructions. Don't fucking call the police or she's dead. Instead of it being a fucking beat poem where it's like, you do this, she's dead. You do this, she's dead. You do this, she's dead. It's like, my God. This person wanted to be a playwright. This person And, and needed, this was their closest shot. They needed an editor. They needed me to come in and be like, this is superfluous. Redundant. Don't fucking, redundant. 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 The John Bennett of it all... I really hate because it points to sexual assault. And as much as there's not proof of that, the only damning thing that I can point to is that bedwetting is a symptom of sexual assault um, in kids. And having a six-year-old who's constantly wetting the bed is alarming based on what that could possibly mean. That's not to say that maybe John Bonet wasn't being sexually assaulted by a family member or someone in she her life. She could have been sexually assaulted by anybody. By anybody. This is the this is usually the the view of John and I'm not I'm not willing to say that's it. Eureka, we found it. I did love in his one-on-one interview in April like 4 months after the fact. They were like 
do you think there's anyone who could do it? He's like, you know, Priscilla White is really jealous of my wife, which I thought was an odd move to like blame the person who came over and was like comforting. Yeah, what and, happened? What happened to you guys? Yeah, what That's happened? Kind of that sad was to me. Super sad. But I, you know what I think it was? It was like they knew it was on him. He's just trying to deflect whether or not he did it or not. He's like, I'll give you whatever name you want. Just leave Ugh, the fucking family alone. So sad. Alone. It's them against the world. Well, I do think if if there's a person who in that house that did it, I do think that the most probable would be Burke and John and Patsy helped cover up. That is, if we're going to talk about someone in the house that night out of the three of them, this feels like the most probable scenario. I will agree with that. What's significant about Burke that I found interesting that might point that it's not him was that if the family knew that it was Burke. Do you really think they'd let him be interviewed alone and worry that he would sully the crime scene or sully the evidence in any way? Like, do you really trust a 10-year-old to maintain a lie? No, probably not. That's just it. It's hard for me with how Burke behaved in the interview. He cares a lot what people think, and he's kind of like this little um, asshole where he's got this, this tood that's like, I'm actually fine. And That's what I was going to say. He... They were talking about him, and he. they asked about him, are you worried about your safety? And he's like, no, I'm just playing my Nintendo. Beep, 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 beep. He, like, mimes. Mimes Nintendo. He mimes the Nintendo. Um, Nine-year-olds are weird, though. Like, Nine-year-olds weird. are weird. We want them to be, like, socially. That's a fucking awkward age. And the idea that they would think that they could be, like, never tell anyone, Burke, and he'd be nine, and he, and that and he, he was would... able to do that his whole life? I, I don't mean, know, you guys. Some of the damning things that in the interview where they like to point to was like when they were like do you have any secrets and he's like I probably do but I wouldn't tell you because then it wouldn't be a secret like it does feel very clear understanding of what a secret is he says he knows what happened is that his dad found the body um, in the basement he says he knows that someone killed his sister and he wasn't going to school because the press um, and the press was there staking out his school. He knew that. When they asked what they think he think happened, he said, I think someone took her very, very quietly and tiptoed down the basement. And he said maybe they took a knife out and he mimes stabbing. That says, just shows maybe, you it's a kid that doesn't get what's really going on. Yeah. Maybe they took a knife out and stabbed alarming. her. I just I mean, didn't like he's when he's picking he... up pieces of the story. He knows she was found in the basement. He knows that someone broke in. Right. He's hearing this secondhand. He's just honestly what what I find the most alarming is just his overall deme- demeanor in that it's a weird kid. However. It's less weird when I see him as an adult and he's behaving the exact same way in the Dr. Phil interview. Where yeah, it's, it's like fucking weirdo. He's just something. Not just up. that, but if he killed her, I think when they're like, what do you think happened? He'd have said the same thing. Maybe like someone came in and tiptoed her down to the basement and then hit her on the head with a fly. Like he would say how he has a visual imprint if he killed right. her of how she died. He would say that's how the other person did it. He's not so wily that he's going to like make up make up this whole other narrative with a knife to be like now they'll never catch me right i mean i don't think he could have held on to this after this interview that was two weeks after the vet he was interviewed like i had said earlier a year and a half after her death and in that way he sh- they showed the pictures of the pineapple he did his demeanor did change when they brought up the pineapple and he refused to talk about it which to me could possibly speak to some sort of consciousness of what happened. That's something in there. I also, in the CBS special, they talked about the stun gun, and we mentioned it earlier about the marks in her body. What they were able to find was something there, which was his train tracks that he had just gotten, and they found that the train tracks was the same measurement than the dots of her body. So their theory is that he, she stole a piece of pineapple, he hit her over the head, freaked out, took a piece of the train tracks, and punctured her body trying to elicit a response from her. That is their theory. They could not find these weird dots on her body where else they would have come from. I think it's important to note that before the April 30th, 1997 interview with John and Pat C. set that, were, that was separate, both of them were provided with copies of the police report unheard of so they were able to prepare and whether or not they did it or not it's fucking suspicious as all hell 
Along with the family investigation, there's this guy, Steve Thomas, who was the lead investigator who ended up resigning from the case in 1998. And he blames the DA for the interference. And he says the DA did not want to go after the family. He said that police was like blocked in so many different ways from the family. They never got warrants for phone records, credit card records. They had to do like all these Home Depot receipts. They had to go by hand one at a time trying to find if these cords or anything connected them. So they were pretty much blocked from continuing. The DA really did not want to pursue the Ramsey family as possible suspects. And it made it very clear by waiting for a long time to interview, all that good stuff. In 1998, the DA, FBI, and the Colorado Police Department got together in a school to kind of talk about what their progress was and what we were going to do. And the FBI head said, you know, Mr. District Attorney, no disrespect intended, but a little girl is moldering in the ground and something needs to be done. Are you going to call a grand jury? Because they had compiled enough evidence to do so. And the DA, Alex Hunter, he said, I need to get with my people. This is a political decision. I think that could mean two things. The Ramseys were incredibly well-off, incredibly wealthy, and well-connected. Their lawyers, they lawyered up with an incredible law firm. They had a lot of money. The Ramseys were well-connected, and they were affluent, and this town was an affluent town. They didn't really want to sort of implicate this family for many reasons. The other, the other thing I think I have to comment on is just the sheer amount of press Right. It's like nothing can be done secretly. Nothing can be done privately. It probably was really challenging to get a grand jury even to participate in a sense where ideally you want someone who hasn't heard about the case, who's entering fresh with no information about who, what, when, where, why. And because this was on the front cover of every tabloid, you're not going to find a perfect juror. By the way, after this meeting, the FBI agents the next day left. They were like, we're done. We're done. If we're not doing a grand jury, we're fucking out. They did end up holding a grand jury, and Alex Hunter gave a press conference saying that the grand jury concluded and that there will be no charges filed. Based on his evidence, he's decided not to charge anyone in the case. Fourteen years later, they did unseal the grand jury. What is it, docket? The grand jury script. they They unsealed the grand jury information And they did find that the jury voted to indict both Patsy and John with two counts, one of which was child endangerment, putting the child in harm's way. And the second was that there was a vote to indict them on obstruction of an investigation. What's significant about this is none of them are about the death. None of them. It's kind of feels to me in reading this. It was like the base level of evidence that they could pursue. And it sounds like there wasn't a lot of evidence in that if they were to, quote, charge them with obstructing an investigation, I think any defense attorney worth their weight would simply say, what could we have held back on? There was not enough evidence because the police fucked it up. And the DA does not want to sit there and bring a case like this and come to light the police department's ineptitude in handling this case. So, yeah, I mean, the best theory I have about it being a family member in the house is it being Burke and the parents covered up. That's I would love to launch into my suspects. Please. So, Carrie, I'm going to tell you about the five suspects I looked into. The first is Santa. Not Santa Claus. No, just small Santa. But Bill McReynolds, who played Santa. He's now deceased. He was a friend of the Ramses. He dressed up as Santa every year, and he would go to John Benet's house uh, to entertain the neighborhood kids. They would sit on his lap. He would play Santa. Right. And she thought he was Santa. I mean, right. she's six. Of course she did. Yeah. She also took him on a personal tour of the home, including her room in the basement. So he's somebody that would have known. Her room in the basement? Her room and, and the, the ba- basement. Okay. He would have known like a blueprint on the house. He was somebody that she would have trusted. Right. We've talked a little bit about that. He was also just creepy close to her in the way that he would always talk about her being his special friend. And one time she gave him a vial of glitter and he was like blown away by that. He was like, oh, I'm always giving kids things. Their kids are asking me for things because I'm Santa. He had like a weird obsession with her. And she gave me this, like what a magical kid. 
When I say he was into the glitter, let me just explain that he took it with him into heart surgery and that he asked his wife, when I die, will you make sure it gets mixed with my ashes? Wait a minute, but that's after she died. Yes. The question is, is like, it's how... not his kid. He's a stranger. I and he's know, like, mix she this glitter died tube w- with my ashes. I know, but after he died and she died, maybe he felt like even closer to her. Well, he must have felt close to her because one thing they found in her room was a note from him to her that <gasps> said, something special will happen to you after Christmas. Also, Ooh. at the funeral, John didn't really like his demeanor. He said that when Patsy went to hug him, he kind of did a thing where he blocked her hug. Now, for me, John saying that is meant to mean, oh, he didn't feel good about hugging her because he killed our kid. To me, it's he loved John Bonet so much, he might have thought Patsy did it and didn't want to hug yeah, her. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, one thing you keep talking about how crazy it is that John has this past with a dead daughter. Yeah. Well, so does Santa. His daughter and her friend were kidnapped and molested <gasps> 22 years ago to the day. Christmas no. that this happened to Jean Benet. His wife wrote a play about a little girl that's tortured and murdered in a basement. Now, I think maybe the wife was dealing with her own stuff that has to do with her daughter, not with Jean Benet. And now yeah. it all relates to Jean Benet just because it's. Right. Here's the thing his alibi is that he was home that night. It was Christmas. His kids were home. He was like. In Colorado, yes, but very far from them. And everyone's like, yeah, we definitely didn't notice him leave at any point in the night or yeah. come back. And he, remember the heart surgery? Yeah. He's in bad shape, this guy. The idea that he would have been physically able to get into the house and commit a crime and leave the house through like yeah. a window or something is a and little also, bit laughable. Like, his relationship with her could be just like misplaced shit from his own daughter. Completely. Yeah. And the fact, so yeah. I don't actually like him in the end, but I had to present that of case. Course. Next, let's move on to Michael Helgoth. There's an electrician named Michael Helgoth that worked in a nearby auto salvage yard. He's been described as a hellraiser, and I heard rumors that were alleged in different things I read about him being involved in some sort of property dispute with the Ramses. Okay. So maybe that's some sort of motivation for revenge. We know that weird ransom letter kind of talks about not liking him. Yeah. Now, he was 26 when all this went down. He does have a history of torturing animals, which... We all know. He would, like, wring kittens' necks with wrenches. Like, really gross stuff. Like, he's Ugh. a bad guy. Um, something's wrong there. He also said to a friend, who, by the way, this friend totally thinks he did it. He said, um, I wonder if you like to crack a skull, like a few weeks before this happened. Mm. He also told that same friend, they were approaching Christmas, and he's like, I'm going to get so much money at Christmas. I'm going to get, like, me and my friend are going to do this deal, and we're each going to get, like, fifty or $60,000, which two people splitting $118,000. Yeah. You guys know math is not my strong suit. But you're right. Thank you. He never got that money, though. Like, this deal, whatever it was, didn't yield any money. Hmm. He committed suicide by gunshot two days after a 1997 press conference. The press conference had the Boulder DA saying that they were zeroing in on a new suspect. And then two days later, he commits suicide. Looking at images, pictures of the suicide, of, the, of that crime scene, yeah. you can see a stun gun and you can see high-tech boots, which was the kind of boot print found at the crime. Now, it's important to note the Boulder police are like, no, they don't they don't match. The boots don't match. But they didn't really like explain or show how they didn't match. How they didn't match. So did he leave a note, this guy? He didn't leave a note. Not only did he not leave a note, Carrie, but there's a bullet hole in a pillowcase like he used it to muffle the sound. Why? Yeah. Why would you muffle the sound of your suicide? Also, he was shot. On the left side, but he was right-handed. So now you start to go, was it even a suicide? Remember, he said he was going to do a deal with somebody? With somebody and split that money? So you start to go, wait, was he going to rat out this? Was was he a danger to somebody that was going to say, I got to confess that we did this? Did he get killed? Wow. 
So that one is really fascinating, right? Totally. That's all we know about that. We Do don't know the answers. Alibis or anything? Don't know about the alibis. Okay. I'm going to move on to third suspect, Gary Oliva. Mm-hmm. Um, Gary Oliva, 54, is a convicted pedophile, so we like him for it right away. He's actually currently serving a 10-year sentence in Colorado for possession of child pornography, which he got busted for way after this, 2016. Okay. Michael Vale is a friend of his. They were friends in high school. He's the one that kind of called attention to Gary, more or less, although no one listened to him at first. What happened is he got a phone call from Gary shortly after the murder, actually on the night of December 26th. And he was crying and saying, I heard a little girl. And the only other thing he knows about his what was going on that night with his friend is that his friend was in Boulder, in the Boulder area. Oliva wrote, in a letter to Michael Vale, I never loved anyone like I did John Bonet, yet I let her slip and her head bashed in half and I watched her die. That's super weird that he wrote that. I don't think she slipped. We just talked about how it was like three stories he or slipped, something. Yeah, no, I don't think. Yeah. Anyway, he says in the note, it was an accident. Please believe me. She was not like the other kids. Vale keeps the conversation going with Oliva because he thinks Gary did this. So he's always like, he's like, let's keep, let's keep chatting. Let's keep chatting. He wrote in another letter, Jean Benet completely changed me and removed all evil from me. Just one look at her beautiful face, her glowing, beautiful skin and her divine God body. I realized I was wrong to kill other kids yet by accident. She died and it was my fault. So he's trying to tell police this is, my friend did this, my friend did this. I'm suspecting that this guy has child pornography shit, and I think that there's an element where he he has crazy fantasy, and maybe he felt like he could save her, and that's what he's Well, he was living near there as a registered sex offender when it happened. He did go to her candlelight vigil on a cold as fuck night that not a lot of people went out to go to this vigil. And we all know people that commit these crimes like to show up for shit like that. They didn't consider him a suspect until 2000, but then they arrested him for, I think, like theft or something. And they found a photo of her and a poem about her on him. The poem is called Ode to Jean Benet. They also found a stun gun with his shit. Again, I'm not even going to say it, but the DNA doesn't match any of the people I'm listing. Gotcha. We don't know about that fucking DNA, y'all. Lou Smith, our buddy Lou Smith, the... Yeah. He thinks it was this guy. Or he can still considers him a suspect. Okay. He continues to admit to his friend Vale that he killed... Or not that he killed her, that she died and it was an accident. But he won't offer up any details that make us have any more reason to believe that. Okay. We just know he's obsessed with her. They find, like, 335 photos of her. Ugh. Yeah. 19 of them were from her autopsy that had been, like, leaked photos from <gasps> no. the press. There was also a shrine to her, it seems like he had built. And he had p- t- cut out pictures of her and put it on Monopoly money. Wow. Like, this guy's over the top. This guy's also just, he is a paranoid schizophrenic, and he's tried to strangle his mom. So, yeah, he has a violent history. He has mental illness. He is a child pedophile. There's a lot of things that are sketch. We're going to move on to John Mark Carr. He's a 51-year-old. He reached out to professor that was studying this case, Michael Tracy, over an email. And in the email, he talks about how he strangled her in a love game gone wrong and that he said, close your eyes, pretty sweetheart. And he he calls himself Daxus in all their email communications. And he's like, Daxus loves you so much. Oh, God, I love you, Jean Benet. And my lover's eyes were slowly closing. He says he was there similarly, but that he didn't kill her. It was an accident. No one murdered her, but she did die in my arms. It was an accident. Right. What really sticks out about this guy is that he does seem to know things that not a lot of people do. He knows that she was wearing underwear that said Wednesday. Mm -hmm. He knows that she had a bracelet on. He knows that there was mucus covering the duct tape, which she had duct tape over her mouth, but got like a runny nose. So the duct tape was covered in Mm -hmm. her mucus. He knows things like that. Because the police fucked up so bad, we really don't know, like, where information is leaked. We don't know if that tells us that he really knew anything. But 
he confesses, essentially, and the police track him down. He's hiding out in Bangkok, and he's flown to Boulder for questioning. He's cleared because of DNA. He had DNA actually fled. isn't even fucking real evidence. Right. Well, in this case, it's not. He had fled to Thailand because he was facing child porn charges in the U.S. You want to hear something creepy? He was a school teacher. Gross. For kids. And he was married a couple times and once was to a 13-year-old. A 13-year-old. In Alabama, right? Because they, like, allowed it. Must be. Gross. Oh, man. ID interviews this guy, and he's like, you people have made fun of me and crucified me. You want me to confess to you? Well, fuck that. I was with her when she died, but I didn't kill her. No one did. It was an accident. And then he says things like, I'm trying to give you a hint. There was another person there. And he's like, I was with her, but I didn't cause her death. And the whole thing was arranged by someone else. Ugh. And the guy's like, um, okay, well, how did you meet her? And he says something like, well, there's a lot of people in the pageant world that work in different capacities. And then he goes, I've already said too much. No. It's so odd. But he also reveals in this interview that he was so driven by his testosterone and that's what turned him into um, a pedophile uh-huh. that he willingly got castrated. Wow. And now he doesn't have a problem, he says. Really interesting case study, this Ooh. guy. Okay, we have one more suspect I want to talk about. Randall DeWitt Simons is the last person I want to talk about. This was Jean Benet's personal pageant photographer, essentially, hired to take pictures of her. He was arrested at his home in Oak Ridge, Oregon, just last year. He was charged with 15 counts of encouraging child sex abuse by downloading child porn. He was supposed to have a trial this past May, but he was released ahead of his trial because of his age and his heart condition, a COVID thing. <sighs> Two authors and crime research researchers came out and were like, we're super concerned about this. Um, he's been somebody that since the murder happened, mm-hmm. we have not liked his behavior. It's been strange. He mm. says he knows more about the murder than he's willing to reveal. He's said that. And... After Jean Benet died, a bunch of the moms of girls in the pageant got phone calls from this guy where he would call them in like the middle of the night crying and freaking out, saying over and over again, I did not kill Jean Benet. And he was not a fucking suspect. So like no one was saying he did. And he's just calling and offering that up. So super curious. Um, At the time... He was living in Genoa, Colorado, which isn't very close. It's probably a couple hours drive. But he does get arrested there for walking down the street naked. And when the police pick him up, he (laughs) says to them, I didn't kill Jean Benet. Wow. His alibi is just that he was home alone that night. So that is another person that I'm, like, interested in because he was her photographer. He knew her. She knew him. It's another person that would have showed up at the house that she would have been like, I know this person. Right. Anyway, those are all the suspects. I didn't list at the beginning, but I want to say that I got my information from Rolling Stone, The Sun, The Denver Channel, Case Encyclopedia, and the documentaries we already cited on ID and CBS. And I really quick also want to say, because if you Google my dad, he was a commentator for this case. Yeah. And... He does not think the parents did it. I think he favors an intruder theory, but I don't know much more about what he thinks. I am going to ask him more and record our conversation, and that's going to go out to our Patreon subscribers uh, next month. So you guys can look forward to that little interview with criminal defense lawyer Larry Larry Posner. Posner. I will give you guys a couple quotes from the Denver Post and from CNN that are attributed to Larry Larry Posner. Posner. The Boulder police were neither fair nor accurate in their initial investigation, and there's no reason to think they should be trusted again, he told the Denver Post. To CNN, he says, The Boulder police engaged in a crime scene search and preservation that was worse than amateurish. It borders on criminal. Ugh, I love that. I love Larry And I Posner. think no matter what you think, you can agree with those two you statements. You fucking Larry So you Posner. can get on board with... The LP. The, uh, are you down with LP? Yeah, you know me. I just want to give a little addendum of some conspiracy theories that I know nothing about, but it's worth noting. One, that Katy Perry 
is John Bonet. Please watch these videos, you guys. They're it's a crazy so person that made them. Funny. And his evidence is face fading. Car- Katy Perry into Jean Benet to prove they're the same. Dream, dream, dream. It is a crazy person. Worth your time. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. I guess somebody was like, it's the ears. It's not, they're not aligned. The so truth it's... is, if I were to ever get a tattoo, it would be a face fade of Katy Perry into Jean Benet. That's the only <laughs> thing I believe I would want on my body permanently. Uh-huh. The other, obviously, Illuminati did it. That's a theory. Of course. A third theory was. Jeffrey Epstein that he was a part of it because <laughs> Maxwell that horrible woman that was his fucking like fixer or whatever the the same attorneys that represented the Ramseys also represented her, her in the criminal investigation just so you know Patsy died in 2006 from her ovary uh, from ovarian cancer and if you have a chance please watch casting John Benet it is so weird I can't even get into all the information it's so fucking good my favorite was an actor and they're not actors but an actor who is like you know when I got my handwriting tested because an ex-boyfriend had my handwriting tested and it was in a birthday card to him and the handwriting expert figured out I had an injury on my ankle and they were right it is so weird. A man who has prostate cancer thinks that Patsy did it because she had ovarian cancer. And he talked about how his prostate cancer was because he was so sad he never got to have kids. And Patsy's, because she killed her, came from her ovaries, that he was convinced that that cancer means she killed John Bonet. So um, there's some gems of theories in this, this film, folks. It's so fucking insane. It's so... It, you think you think you think you know what it is. And you don't. you're wrong. In 2004, just a little update on uh, John Bennett Ramsey. June 2004, he campaigned for a seat in the Michigan House of Representatives. No, I had no idea. Yes. As a Republican, he got 24.3% of the vote. He did not get the seat. Another thing that's interesting, guess who he reportedly dated? They deny it. They said they were just friends. Who? Casey Anthony. Better. Not better. (laughs) Worse. Natalie Holloway's mother. What? Yes. Wow. <laughs> so he ended up getting remarried to his third wife in 2011, which was not Natalie Holloway's mother. But they both connected because of their connection of children, which is fucking insane. There's nothing to connect you like a connection, I always say. There's nothing that connects you like a connection. Dear readers, this was so fun. Two episodes. I feel like our Christmas special every year, maybe next year we'll do Scott Peterson. Do you love when we talk to you about um, Such a deep child dive. murder for <laughs> Christmas and New Year? It's our holiday special. I feel like we're a member it's the of the... the gift that keeps on giving. I feel like we're the BBC because, you know, they have, like, Christmas specials. I feel oh. like we're them. Yeah, this felt like a very holiday special. <laughs> hey, dear readers, we love you. Um... I, I have to get to know you better before I make a statement I, like that. I bring that. love freely. It's I know I love the Patreon subscribers, but I'm not sure about these. I didn't say I love you all the same amount. I'm not. I'm not sure about these jokers. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, I'm kidding. Come on, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Learn how to take a joke. <laughs> That's your resolution. <laughs> we'll see ya. Uh-huh.